Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Startup Soiree podcast. This is your host, Patrick Reif. Welcome to October. I hope everyone is doing incredibly. I hope you are drinking and eating things that are filled with pumpkin. Actually, I'm not sure about that. I'm, I'm actually anti-pumpkin train these days. It's gotten a little much, but if that's how you feel, pumpkin spice it up. Uh, yeah, so we just had Deb Tillett. I hope some of you were here to see Deb talk about using all of your best natural assets when it comes to business. Uh, excited to have another exceptional new business and player on the podcast today. We're going to be speaking with Sarah Templin from Radica Textiles. Uh, Radica is a textile company, believe it or not, here in Baltimore, making exceptionally beautiful fabrics um, with really, really cool prints on them, but I shouldn't be the one to deliver the treaty. Sarah should. So let me welcome her. Sarah, welcome to the Startup Soiree podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of the chat, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about Sarah Templin and Radica Textiles? Sure. Um, so Radica is a textile design firm we uh, hand paint or hand print textiles that predominantly are available um, as yardage to the wholesale trade, so to the industrial or to um, you know, design and architecture firms. Um, but then in addition to that, launched a business of, or I guess a line you would say of um, uh, home accessories, personal accessories that are available to everyday folk in stores, um, some small furniture, and um, for the most part, it's all manufactured here in Baltimore. Awesome. So, uh, Sarah, you and I met many years ago, approximately right. five of them, I would guess at this point. Um, yeah. When you were, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess you, were you registrar at the yeah. American Visionary Art Museum? Yeah, I was a registrar, I, I think, for almost 11 years. It's no kidding. Fuzzy, but it's been a long time. Yeah. Holy moly. I had no idea yeah. that your tenure had been that long. So, yeah, yeah, something close to that. It was over 10, anyway. So that first day we met was actually my first day as an art handler. Um and I remember I was working with George Martins, who I've never seen again since he left that job, but I really like George a lot. Um, so I had George there, and we were picking up all those little people, and I remember that they were kind of in, like, half China cartons, and they were, like, a total pain in the butt to, like, figure out how to pack into this truck. And I was, like, equal equal parts totally exhilarated um and then also kind of like oh shit what have i gotten myself into um <laughs> and then i remember i um through whatever serendip was at play i came and carried something out of there with eon i believe eon gattignolo uh on your last day and we walked in the door and you were like there's the stuff by the way, I'm done. And we were like, what do you mean? And you're like, this is my last day. And we were like, oh, wow. And I think yeah. that, that we must have I'm, we must have asked you what you were doing, and I'm pretty sure that you knew that you were, you were going to do this thing at that point in time. And I think by then I had also already started Pixelated, but I wasn't 
I wasn't thinking like a businessman or, or, or maybe I wasn't picking up exactly what your intention was, but you know, then a, a few years later, Radica came to my attention and I thought like, I know that name. Like, why yeah. do I know that name? And then I finally was like, holy shit, I think that's the registrar from Visionary. So I love the way yeah, that it comes back around. I know. We were, we were both sort of in the same position because at the, at the time that I left Avam, I had been working on Radica part-time um, for maybe a couple of years. And then I left um, to to jump into it full time and you were doing pixelated but also doing some other things and um so we were kind of in the same position or similar position at that point i remember telling um, my wife and she was like you should get her job <laughs> <laughs> yeah was, you should have got well obviously you went on to do I, your own thing i so went to do something different i enjoyed my yep. time in the art world but um it not 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 my career for sure. I am um, yeah. I'm too much of a uh I'm too much of a of a wild card I think for that in the in the long <laughs> run. So tell me a little bit about uh how Radica started then. So if it started, you know, 18 months or a year before you left Avam, um give me give me the, like the the inception story. Well, it you know, so my background, I have a background in um, the sort of the art management side of things, museum management stuff, but also in um, soft sculpture. So I was making a lot of sculptures out of um, fabric, sewn things, and got really interested in how um, you could create new patterns um, based on how you sewed the fabric. So for instance, if you had some striped fabric, with a couple strategic darts and seams, you could then create, you know, a chevron or some other kind of pattern. Um, and that was interesting to me. And then um, from there, I started just designing the patterns themselves. Um, and so I was just sort of dabbling in it and trying to figure out how to screen print repeat patterns on fabric. Um, the hard way, which is to say, um, just teaching myself um, uh, by means of lots of mess ups, basically lots of very expensive screw ups. Um, it's pretty easy to, if you don't know what you're doing, to screw up printing fabric, and fabric can be expensive. So <laughs> it was a lot of expensive trial and error. But eventually, I got the hang of it all and was into it and just, you know was felt good about the body of work that I had and the line that I had created. And so jumped into it full time and for a while dabbled. Of course, if you're going to make fabric, you're going to start making stuff out of the fabric. Right. So dabbled with lots of different forms, um, just out of my own personal interest, making clothes and things out of the fabric. But then, um, I didn't really have intentions of going into um, making, you know, these personal accessories and small furniture, but eventually it just seemed like, um, first of all, it nourished my interest in the three-dimensional sewn pieces that I had sort of already always had, but um, gotten away from, and um, it was a way to diversify the business as well. So... Um, that's kind of the evolution of 
of up to where we are now. I where guess. you are now. I, I have yeah. to. I have to tell you. I uh, so I studied. Um, I studied fine art. Although I ended up with an art history degree. So for all you fine artists out there who know that I have an art history degree, and you're sh- throwing shade, I get it. I understand that I'm not technically a fine artist. Um, but <laughs> I spent all of my time. So like I wanted to study art because I didn't want to study music because I was a musician. I didn't want to make that my career. And then I was like, great, mm-hmm. I'll be like a curator. And then like I got into it, and I was like fuck this like I can't be a curator I'm not into it like I'm not into it like that um but I had to make a portfolio to get into the art history program and I made a portfolio and I got really into making art and then the program asked me why I wouldn't consider a studio focus and I was at UMBC and I told them well it's because all your studio focuses are commercial art and I'm not interested in that um but I spent all my time there taking all of the studio classes that I could and I got really into you know I'm I'm have always been a very process oriented musician. So that transference is an easy thing. Like if you're into process, uh, you can, you, you can make art as much as you can make music if you're like winging it and you like believe, sure. believe in that personal vision. Um, but I remember I really loved, I really, really loved printmaking. And I took kind of like a general studies printmaking class that gave me, you know, like I did a little litho and I did a little like, you know, block carving and I worked on, um, the Vander Vander Cook, uh, uh-huh. which I fucking loved so much. Like I really <laughs> loved it, but I also remember the anxiety of getting the registration right um, on a machine like that. And then I think about, and I think about this all the time. Every time I look at one of your prints on the wall, um, I think about the anxiety that I would have in terms of the registration involved with what you much must do. So when you were just telling your story, I'm just like thinking like. Oh, that would freak me out so much because <laughs> yeah. it's very expensive. Regist- yeah, the registration freaks me out too because if you're if you are printing on paper and your registration's off, then it's frustrating, but it's just one piece of paper. Whereas if you are printing on fabric, you know, yardage of fabric. I mean, I guess just to some a little a little bit of background first. Um, if you want twenty five yards of fabric you have to have a table that is 25 yards long and you pin your fabric to that and um, then start screen printing at one end and go all the way down. So if you screw up in the middle of it, you screwed up potentially 25 yards of fabric. So um, the thing is, you know, you can't, once that fabric is pinned down, you just have to go with it. You can't unpin it and move it you'll never get it pinned in the same way because of the way that the work and West move around. It'll just never be um, exactly lined up again uh, in the way that paper would. Like, you know, the grains, or the fibers of the paper are stationary, the fibers of the fabric are moving around, right? So registration on um, a yardage print job can be nerve-wracking. And, um, yeah. <laughs> So it ends up being that I, I mean, it impacts my design process a lot because I will design things that have more forgiving registration. I just don't want to deal with the the super tight technical registration. Sure. And I, and, and I, and I can see like where, um, like I, I get exactly what you mean in terms of pinning, uh, you know, fabric, fabric has much more, uh, elasticity to it. So, 
even even in terms of the way you're dragging your screens and sitting them up and lifting them down, I'm sure that all of that, I'm sure that your your technique is far greater than just the pool of the squeegee with the ink. Like your technique goes into kind of like the entire way that you compart yourself when you're working on the material. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, obviously you, you, screen printing is not, um, screen printing mostly is, I think, being patient and not trying to rush through it and being, keeping your hands clean. Um, because you can pick up the technique pretty quickly. It's not like, the hardest technique on the planet. Um, there's a lot of little details to remember, but it starts becoming muscle memory. Um, but you do have to, there's a lot of measuring that goes in, in to screen printing on yardage. You just measure, um, these stops. So if your pattern, for instance, is like 15 inches and 15 and three quarter inches or something, you have to put a stop every 15 three quarter inches. And if you're a stopper, you're, which is essentially the guide on the side of the table, if that's off a hair, then that's going to impact your um, registration. So it's just a lot of like double checking and not trying to rush through it and actually paying attention to the measurements and stuff like that. It's not a, I don't know, it's not like painting where you can develop your, your, hone your skills, I guess. Um, the, I would say drawing the pattern is the more technical or technical in a different way. That's the thing where you can really get good at it over years and years and years and years. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So I, man, I feel like I could go in a million directions, but you know, we try and keep this fairly concise. So I don't want to blow it up <laughs> too much because I would really love and, you know, Sarah, maybe we can have you back one day and we can talk more about just like product design or we can talk about like, you know, like yeah. a, a new pattern or something. But where I'm kind of curious and I want to leap over it is because I know that there um, I know that there are a ton of makers in Baltimore and I know that we're starting to get a little bit of a boil going on, which I think is really great. Um, but where I think the story is lacking in terms of what people comprehend and understand is. Uh, is the fundamental marketplace for what you're doing. So, um, you know, there's there's lots of crafters and then there are lots of people that are doing DIY and then there are people that are starting to be like really involved in the maker space. But all of those, all those things I just said are more about the artist in their studio creating something, but that doesn't include the point of view of how do I turn this into a business? How do I find distributors how do i find blah 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 so i would love to know a little bit about where your goods are going where are you finding places to seat them where are you selling them through what what is that like for someone at your level um i have been doing trade shows actually um there's a really big trade show in north carolina that's every six months that i've been doing um that is really more for the trade. So for store buyers and design firms, um, architecture firms. And so I, I had been, um, there for the past few, um, trade shows, but 
sort of switching gears now and trying actually kind of the scale back in a different direction, partially because that ended up just taking up so much of my time that I was just doing that and not able to do anything else. Um, so, uh, and I got involved with the um, Industrial Arts Collective's Made in Baltimore store. And um, that was just, for many reasons, great to be involved in, but partially as a vendor. I was a vendor and an organizer, so for on the vendor side, it was nice because um, despite doing these national trade shows, it did feel like not very many people in Baltimore uh, had any idea that I was doing this um, or my market wasn't necessarily here. Um, and so it was a way for me to um, get known a little bit more in Baltimore. Um, same with all the other vendors, I would say. I mean, it, it is. I do know a lot of people who manufacture things who um, predominantly sell outside of the city because there's not a ton of shopping in the city that is not corporate stores, um, you know, corporate chain stores. So it does sometimes feel easier to find a market outside of the city than in the city. But that's changing, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Um, so do you want to uh, tell us a little bit more about the Industrial Arts Collective and what, what, the, what that experience was like for you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the Industrial Arts Collective is a collective of maker spaces, manufacturing companies, and um, design companies here in town. Um, there is, we don't have a physical location. We have, uh, we're only about a year old. So, um, we've created a website that has, uh, an event page. You can go there to find out what kind of events related to maker spaces and design is going on or post your own. You can register yourself, um, if you're a maker or maker space or designer or manufacturing company, register that on the company, on the website, or you can go there to um, find manufacturers and designers that might be a good fit for your fabrication project or for a class that you're trying to take at a maker space. Um, so it's sort of a resource uh, hub. And um, then the next big initiative that we've done just since we started essentially a year ago is to do this made in Baltimore store um, that was um, this is our last weekend actually of it. Uh, so it's products from almost 80 different Baltimore manufacturers and designers. And it's pretty diverse um, group of products. So we've got compost, bicycles, 3D printers, and then slightly more traditional things like clothing, um, personal accessories, housewares, lots of furniture, um, some body products like um, moisturizers and soaps and perfumes. Um, so kind of runs the gamut of um, items that you might want to buy but also a little bit of a showroom for our furniture 
um, manufacturers, and um, we also have some, you know, surface um, suppliers like concrete pours and counter tabletop manufacturers. Um, so it's it's a way to promote design and manufacturing in the city, a way to promote buying local, highlighting um, the industry that is here. I mean, a lot of people, you know, have this perception that industry is leaving, which or has left, which is true in a sense, but industry is also evolving to be a different a different model than what it was back in the days of, um, you know, Burma Sosa factories and Crown Cork and Field factories. It's a little bit more um, of these smaller manufacturing companies that are, uh, you know, under 20 people, for instance. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, there's, there's so, um, there's so many, uh, bright and incredible people doing really bright and incredible things. And I feel like one of the, one of the big struggles in, in Baltimore, and I think that that's probably true of, um, of a lot of the cities that are the size and, and kind of like the, uh, at, at the economic impasse that kind of Baltimore has been in is that there are all of these people who have learned how to kind of fundamentally create things with their own hands, um, that is usurping, you know, the the boring traditional big market stuff, uh, and but the the problem is is that those uh, those things shouldn't just be kept to kind of like small markets just because that's where they are, and it's not necessarily that what benefits them. And a lot of times, I feel like the 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 assum- the assumptive conversation is that people that start small or they start in a DIY way are doing so because they want to circle the wagons and they don't want it to scale and and that's almost always not the case at all it's just the kind of weird perception that exists around it so for me and and I and I have to say I'm 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 disappointed but I I didn't get a chance to see the the shop the the pop-up shop for for one reason or the other whether it was being too busy at work or being too busy with my children on the weekend, but but I missed it. But to watch it happen and to see so many people um, either be participating and be able to take so much pride in it um, or to leverage really new serious relationships with other makers inside of their city um, where they'll be able to share their resources and ideally um, have, have both of their businesses do better for it, um, but also to give like a real comprehensible story around people making things in Baltimore and and that they have uh, like a much greater shelf life to them than just being something that's cute happening here because that's not the case at all it's not something that's just cute it's something where um, you know th- these are these are, are fierce visionaries that are really um, staking out their own thing and, and they're willing to start from the very beginning you know like you know to, to, to what you're doing you're almost starting pre-manufacturing you know like you're you're by hand designing patterns and printing textiles um, from the from the ground up, and I think that that's a remarkable thing. And there's a lot of story that that sits behind that. Um, and I feel like the arts collective and the, and the made in pop ups and wanting to have like a Baltimore centric store and being able to kind of meet all these common people, it helps to coalesce everyone's story into kind of like a, a louder, stronger version of that story. Um, so for me, uh, super inspiring. Yeah. And I think talking about the story, like you're saying is, um, 
part of the reason that we're interested in doing this, and it was from my perspective, it's nice to see this um, evolved, developed um, support system in place for the music uh, community and the art community and the film community, but it doesn't exist as much for the design and manufacturing community in the city. There's not, for instance, you know, as many websites that are um, writing articles about events and um, design criticism and um, th- there's just not as much of a, an established forum or support system or community that talks about it and drives it further. Um, and as there are in place for some other sectors um, in town. And so telling the story, um, helping designers meet other designers that they can collaborate with or just, um, you know, help to use to help develop their ideas or their business models or processes. That's part of it for sure for us. And it's been nice to hear um, some of the anecdotes that come about as a result of the uh, store. Um, like new people that are collaborating together or um, design firms that come to the store to uh, look for fabricators for a particular project or um, you know, architecture firms that are coming to the store to spec a certain material for a project. Um, so that storytelling is an important element of it for us. Well, for 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 my part as the ambassador of the startup soiree community, I, I I definitely I really appreciate your willingness to come on and uh, and spend some time with us so we could learn a little bit more about Radica and also, um, you know, I w- I would love it if if you would in some regard be an ambassador back to your community and just let everyone there know. I haven't had a chance to to make my rounds through IA yet, but. I, I really, m- m- the most important thing I would say is that I want all of those businesses to feel uh, welcome and to be able to feel that Soiree is a resource for them as well. Because our goal with Startup Soiree is to just create a robust business community in Baltimore and, and one that's looking to you know, one that's looking at manufacturing that's taking place inside of our city as, you know, one of the more critical things that we could do for it. You know, recognizing that um, building our own relationships and being the ones to craft the story is, is something that we, you know, we can do now as long as we put our energies behind it. So, you know, we want all of the all of the makers in Baltimore to, you know, come take some time on the podcast and tell us about what they're making and to come be present in, in the room and tell us about, you know, what they're manufacturing and maybe what some of the struggles are and what some of the solutions are because the more we, the more we share that and the more we have a common conversation around it, uh, the more people are going to feel that and the more people feel that, the stronger we're going to get. So, Yeah, before, yeah 100%. Before we wrap up, Sarah, why don't you let everyone listening know um, a great place to get in touch with you and where maybe they could come pop in and, and see some Radica stuff or, or learn more about what you're doing? Sure. 
Well, so RadicaTextiles.com is my website where you can see um, my products, get in touch with me, um, and I teach classes at the Baltimore Print Studio, so that's a, um, a good way to come learn about screen printing so you can print your own material um, and rent time there to print your own material. Um, what else? Instagram, of course, Radica, at Radica Textiles. And then um, we've got one more weekend at the store. So come by the shop at 16 West North Avenue. Awesome. Um, well, Sarah, uh, on behalf of the Soiree people, thank you for taking some time to record today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, guys, so you heard it. Uh, another interview with another exceptional business and business owner here in Baltimore City. Uh, Radica Textiles bringing manufacturing back to the city, a, uh, a mission near and dear to my heart, as many of you know. Um, check Sarah out. Check out some of her stuff. If you're looking for a gift, buy a clutch. If you're looking for <laughs> art, buy a print. I, I own all of those things. Uh, I've, I've got some beautiful art in my children's room uh, that was produced by Radica. My wife has a great clutch that was produced by Radica. Uh, her textiles are amazing. I know at some point my wife is going to buy a bolt and cover something in our home with it because she's down with that. Um, but yeah, you can get cool stuff that's made here, here, so get it here. Um, aside from that, I appreciate you tuning in again. If you haven't yet, hit the subscribe button on your player, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud. We're putting these jams on YouTube so you can watch them at your desk. And by watch them, I just mean watch that little tile, but you can listen to them at your desk. Um, if you have time, leave us a review on the iTunes store, uh, whether it's one star or five stars. Tell us what you think because I want to know. And the more you talk about it, the more other people talk about it. And the more other people talk about it, the more people hear about our young, vibrant, and growing industry here in Baltimore. Um, all right, guys. Patrick Reif. Stoked to be with you again. Have an incredible week. I'll catch all of you next Monday. All right. Peace. All right, miss. We're done. Okay, cool. Thanks. Th thank you so much. So when this publishes, uh, you'll know because your Twitter will go crazy. Jolie does an okay. exceptional <laughs> job of making sure. We used to kind of just like reach out and tell everyone, and then we were like, no, they're going to know because – we like tweet it and we like Facebook it and we, we, we tag up a lot. So you'll, awesome. you'll see it all going down. And, That's uh, great. yeah, I don't know. I hope to see you at one of our, one of our things soon. I know you're a busy woman, but if you ever have time, please, please come out and check our events and feel free to totally. invite and I'll, anyone. I'll definitely share this with our, um, IAC people. Awesome. Hey Sarah, have a great day. Thanks. You too. Take care. Take care.